0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the t and Speakeasy, with your hosts, Caleb and Michaela. Listen in as they discuss the 1983 film, Videodrome. So, uh, when when did you first see this?
1: I think I first saw this with an ex and a video professor who recommended it to us at the same time. Um, yeah, it was back in 2018-ish, something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And is this something that you've, like, gone back to a couple times, or...?
1: I've gone back to it once, because I wanted to talk to someone about, um special effects like what do you call it when it's not visual or when it's not technical or um
0: practical effects
1: practical effects something like that um and this was right after i watched the thing and i think i watched the thing in 2019 and i was just like oh it kind of reminds me of the effects from videodrome and yeah i think that that's like i really miss technical effects and like how well they're used in, like, older films, it seems like everything is now, like, CGI, graphically induced, um, and a lot of it does not look great, especially, like, CGI faces. I think I think there's a real art to technical effects, and I think Videodrome does a very good job at using them.
0: Yeah, did you ever see the uh, kind of remake slash prequel to the thing that they did?
1: What do you mean, for Videodrome?
0: Oh, no, for uh, The Thing.
1: No, no.
0: Yeah, that one... They had originally done it with all practical effects, and then, like, a producer stepped in and was like, this is never going to work. Let's just replace it all with CGI. Oh, no. So it's very, very strange to see the thing's kind of aesthetic done with CGI. Very, very odd.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's also something so endearing and lovable about practical effects um, that, like, even if it does look kind of campy, there's, like, something nice about it, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and this film is definitely a great showcase for, like, some super-duper impressive stuff. Even just the stuff like that, the TV. Yeah. The kind of uh veiny, kind of puffing-out TV. That's super cool.
1: Yeah. It is very good. Um, okay, well, I mean, what is your context to Videodrome?
0: Yeah, my context for this movie is a little strange. Um, I saw this movie when I was way, way too young. I was maybe, like, nine years old. Mm-hmm and yeah i just caught it on tv so it was edited but it was still like highly highly disturbing for me Mm -hmm. and it created like a weird attraction repulsion to this movie so anytime it came on i'd be like oh god like it's that super weird fucked up movie but i kind of like feel like i have to watch it to try to understand it
1: Hmm. and did
0: you um (laughs) i think i understand it more than i did then but (laughs) yeah so i've seen this many times this also drew me to see hellraiser Mm. which is also another great practical effects movie have you ever seen that one
1: no i've not there's so many classics of not seeing caleb and because i just i just keep wading through all the schlocky like bad ones again and and rewatching like films that i really really desperately love to the point where it's like oh man i think i should try watching new ones but it is it is a lot of effort i understand because I, the reason why I rewatch films in the first place is because, like, I'm anxious, and like rewatching them and knowing exactly what's going to happen um, feels fine. And even like with Videodrome, like how, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to use? Uh, not cranial. Oh man, it's gonna be on the tip of my tongue. Um, but like uh, for how weird it is, and what it, what point it's trying to make, and like the graphics and everything like that in the plot like it was still like a comforting watch because like i think it's really interesting one that i've watched it before and you know i know exactly what happens but two um because the plot is so nonsense um and it is like you can you can't really abstract it from metaphor um it's a lot more easier to digest if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah that's the interesting thing with this movie because sometimes i watch it And I feel like it's a very straight plot, and all the surrealist elements are solely just there for kind of fun aesthetics. Hmm. And then other times I watch it, and yeah, it just feels like it's completely about the symbolic element of it, but I'm never quite sure.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And it's very different from most of Cronenberg's other works. Um, They all have this kind of, or at least all the early ones, have the same emphasis on practical effects and kind of violence and exploitation, But they rarely get so, like, heady in this way, so. Hmm,
1: yeah. Oh, man, the word that I'm thinking of is like, heady, but it's not. Oh, my God, it's going to be on the tip of my tongue for the rest of the fucking show. Oh, no.
0: Well, I'm sure it'll come to you eventually.
1: It's going to come to me at midnight, and then I'll text you about it and be like, Ah, it's this (laughs) word.
0: Um, but, yeah, so jumping into the movie more itself... Yeah, was there, was there anything about the characters that really like pulled you in? Any particular characters that really caught your interest?
1: Okay, well, I'll talk. I'll talk a little bit about. Um, okay, the characters, I suppose. Um, I really do like the fact that um, Max Wren is. You could. You, I I could totally see Max Wren be like a real person that I know. Like, because like I think I've, I've met people like Max Ren, people who want to be uh, controversial for the sake of being controversial, to be like totally dickheadish for just being a dickhead to like get attention and scouring really weird, obtuse like media in order to do so. Like I know people like that. I definitely do. So I think that was the strongest part of the film, where it's just like I totally know people like Max Ren who are edgelords, but, but like at heart, are still like very normy, normcore almost. Where it's like Maxine is still a normal person. He like, he like engages with people, but doesn't have any weird tastes of his own. If that makes sense. Like yes, he's mm-hmm. into uh, graphic gore, sex, torture, that kind of thing. But like, I don't think he truly believes in it and or uses it to live vicariously. He he genuinely just sees that media as just media that is eye-catching. Unlike um, the other character, Nikki, who gets sexually gratified from videos like that, or like Bianca Oblivion or Brian Oblivion, um, great names, by the way, (laughs) um, uh, who kind of put like a political meaning onto it or like a kind of philosophical kind of uh, dogma onto it, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think without a character like Max Wren, who was, like, edgy and normal, if that makes sense, um, I don't think it would have really been super cohesive. Because what's really intriguing about Max Wren's character at the end is, like, like he still thinks he's normal, you know?
0: Yeah, he's definitely kind of like a, I was going to say blobular character, but that's not very eloquent either. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, he's one of those people who just, yeah, doesn't really have a personality on his own, and he's so easily guided around. Mm. And it's, it's kind of a funny, almost self-aware bit of writing from Cronenberg. hmm Because um, almost all of his early movies have these super bland, like, empty lead characters. Uh, I think all of them are men, his early movies. hmm And all of them, it's like this super interesting world is happening around them. And the whole time they just have this doughy-eyed look, like, oh my god, like, what's happening? And they're just kind of guided through, almost like a viewer themselves more than a character. hmm So it's kind of interesting with Max Wren how we start the movie and he's like this super brash kind of like body person and just kind of gross and always like throwing himself around. There's that whole talk show scene where immediately he just starts hitting on Nikki Brand and like ignoring the whole thing. Yeah. But then by the end of it, he turns into the typical Cronenberg character who's just kind of led around, barely a personality to himself.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's exactly what I what I mean. He's I, a big reason why I think he asks out Nikki is because like she's on there to so obviously be a foil to him almost, you know, or to um to kind of be an antagonist to him, to be antagonistic towards him. Um and I think that's really what attracts Max Wren to her is the fact that You know like I don't even know if it's attraction at the end of the day there's like definitely something sexual but like I don't know if it's like attraction to Nikki as a person but like the thing that I think Max is really attracted to is the fact that um one they're on a tv show and would be totally funny to ask Nikki out on on air um and two like here's this person who's going to say like oh you're just doing this for attention when like obviously if you're in media you want attention (laughs) and like the talk show that she hosts um what is it it's like a it's like one where people talk about their emotional grievings and she gets to be the um like the rational voice of being um
0: yeah Yeah. it's almost like a crisis hotline type of show but not, not quite that severe but exactly yeah and i guess max maybe it's even like because he, he kind of thinks that he does a similar thing for people, just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like giving people an outlet to live out their perverse kind of fantasies in a safe way. Mm-hmm. So he also thinks he's like helping people.
1: Yeah, what do you think about Turn?
0: Um, huh. uh, Well, I just, there's one note I wanted to comment on about him. I already kind of mentioned that.
1: Cerebral. Cerebral's the fucking word. I'm so sorry, Caleb. Start your <laughs> sentence over. Cerebral's the fucking word. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I already mentioned that I feel like he's kind of a gross dude in the beginning. Mm. But particularly the scene when we first see him wake up and he's got like this old dirty box of like pizza on the table and he picks up a piece and like dips it in his coffee to eat it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, this dude, like what a nasty dude.
1: Well, yeah, like you like. But here's the thing. You've met someone like Max Wren. hmm exactly so it's just like it's not like disgusting in a way where it's like oh i i would hate to be around this person or like i'm disgusted by this person but it's really just like do you really have to fucking do that dude you know um sorry i interrupted your chain of thought
0: oh it's all good um and, and yeah he it's it's he's he's interesting because i feel like he's different with like every person he interacts with like everything's mm. a show for him mm. like i love the way that he and masha interact Mm. he like treats her with so much more respect and kind of um, almost every other character he kind of like always feels like he's playing at some sort of game kind of just putting on his sleazy act Mm. with Masha he's much more charming but I I think the character that I kind of find more interesting is definitely Nikki Mm. definitely when I was a kid that was the one that kind of caught my eye because I've never really understood sadomasochism Mm. again kind of that weird traction repulsion kind of thing Mm. But, yeah, she's definitely the one who feels a little bit more alive and more attached to herself and kind of knows what she wants, whereas Max is just, like you said, just kind of an empty vessel type of person. And it's interesting how much he, like, starts to obsess about her and just seeing her on the TV everywhere, she basically becomes, like, the embodiment of video drum to him.
1: Yeah, like, I think for him... Uh, Videodrome is, like, weirdly detached and close. It It's uncanny. It's it's abject, where it's, like, there's parts of... You can recognize... I think what really gets to him is that, like, oh, it's torture. And it says it's, like, broadcasting from, like, Malaysian, um like, signals or whatever. And then you realize it's from Pittsburgh. And, like, they're actors. And, you know, there's something that's both kind of familiar, familiar where it's, like, oh, they're not... They're, they're like people, they're like people who know what's going on or and like it's coming from North America rather than like some abject place in Asia. But there's still like this weird, controversial um, kind of repulsive kind of subject matter to it. And I think that's the same thing with Nikki. Nikki is, for all intents and purposes, a very normal person, someone who's a very public figure as well, um, but is interested in sadomasochism. And is very into like blood play and needles and like we see that scene where they fuck and like Max Wren pierces her ear <laughs> and um, yeah I think for the show's purposes um, Nikki does a really good job of being that metaphor or like a personification of Videodrome if that makes sense because it's she's she's tying sex and violence together mm-hmm
0: yeah, and that's exactly the kind of person that the video drum people want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Someone who looks normal on the outside, but inside is kind of corrupted, at least in their point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some cases, I understand sadomasochism. And I think in the show, it's definitely... <laughs> like, I'm not going to deny that there's people out there who would do things and do things that, like, Nikki would do. But it's like, um, for all intents and purposes, I don't think... <laughs> The, I, I, I I I this should be obvious, but it is a hyperbolic uh, image of people who are interested in stateomasochism.
0: Yeah, and with and with video I'm I still don't know if it's quite consensual or not, because at least Masha calls it snuff T V and says it's all real. So it's a little bit blurry.
1: What does that term mean? Snuff T V?
0: Well, do you know what like a snuff film is?
1: Kind of. Is it it's where someone has to get killed on camera?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But is it? It's usually done by the mafia or something.
0: Yeah, or just some psycho. I mean.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Yeah, and back in the the early days of video, it was like a huge buzz. Like they're making all these movies about snuff films because it was like, ooh, you know, this is a new thing that could be taking over. Hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. I actually just watched a movie that was somewhat about snuff films. Have you ever seen uh, *Sinister*? No, I've not. Yeah, uh, I think it came out a few years ago, but has some really kind of disturbing snuff scenes in it, but oh. that's off topic. But
1: mm-hmm. And wait, can we just talk about the fact that this is a Canadian film, and it's set in Toronto, and I totally buy it.
0: Yeah, have you ever been to Toronto?
1: I've not been to Toronto. I've stayed on the West Coast. I've, I've only been to Montreal, Quebec, and a city called Trois-Rivières, and um, that's it. Um, I've been to like, Alberta, and... Uh, Edmonton uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I've been to Alberta yes I've been to Edmonton and Calgary um, but nowhere else Toronto has always been like a city that I have not had like a super strong wanting to go to as I understand that it's very metropolitan it's very urban um, it's kind of ugly from what I've heard
0: yeah I was going to say I mainly know Toronto from Cronenberg movies mm-hmm. and it always looks so cold and just kind of like a really unpleasant place not cold physically but just uh, the architecture
1: yeah it's really weird because <laughs> no matter what film is portraying Toronto it's never beautiful like I remember uh, when I learned Scott Pilgrim was like good based in Toronto or like the setting was Toronto I was like of course it fucking is it's <laughs> snowing and it's gross and like Scott like lives in a, be- a basement suite with his gay best friend um, and it's awful, and they go to a shit ton of warehouse parties and house parties that look like shit. Everything looks like shit.
0: Yeah, man, I used to love that movie. I haven't seen it in a few years, but oh man, I was just so taken away with that movie when it came out.
1: Yeah, this is totally <laughs> off topic, but like, the yeah. more I watch that film, the more I watch that film. It's I realize how shitty all the characters are. Because when <laughs> I was seventeen, I'm like, wow, Ramon is really cool. Whoa, Scott did nothing wrong. Like. Everyone's in a band. That's so sick. Why are they like? Why do they think they're losers? I'm like now that I'm like, I'm Scott's age. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, and now I'm just like, oh
0: no, they were truly all losers. <laughs> are you saying you wouldn't date a high schooler? I mean, come on, here. What? what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy. But yeah, that's definitely off topic. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, but what else? Um. Yeah, I think that's the one big selling point, the fact that it was in Toronto and it's kind of like in this because like I don't think it would have made sense to place it anywhere else, especially like New York or any kind of smaller area. Like Toronto is just obscure enough um, to be like, oh, of course, there would be this person who's looking for obscure media, but like not foreign enough to be like, oh, this is totally something that um, no one would allow. If that makes
0: sense. Yeah, I think he even says he's trying to break through and he's working in this, like, kind of shitty, little shady video station. Yeah, they're ni- nicely removed from everything in Toronto. I mean, there's not, like, it's not like that's any sort of um, pinnacle. I don't even think in Canada. Hmm. It's not really looked at. It's, like, a great city or anything. It's just kind of there. Yeah. But maybe that's my BC perspective. I'm always so biased when it comes to that mm-hmm. kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I'd love to go to Toronto uh, when it's safer. One of my favorite tattoo artists is there. But, like... For sightseeing and for what I've heard, I would I would not want to go there.
0: <laughs> mm. oh, but looking at some of the more philosophical elements of the movie, there's that big war between kind of the oblivions and the Videodrome people. What's the name of their spectacular o- optical? Was that it? I
1: thought they were one at, one and the same.
0: They kind of started out as one and the same, but then they had their kind of viewpoint differences that made them branch off.
1: So wait, 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 wait. The Oblivions are... The opposite they, they fight against video drone
0: yeah they so they started they created video drone with barry convex and his people yes but the spectacular optical people think like, they had that great little thing where they like we have our eye on you or something like that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah but they're like a weird like religious cult so their whole point is yeah we need to get rid of all the subversive elements and create like a pure future society both of them want to create a future society but, and then for Brian Oblivion, I guess he's like, <laughs> he thinks that the future is all going to be like TV people where a television screen is more reality than real reality. And we're all going to communicate through like videotapes.
1: You don't believe that? You don't, you don't think in a way this film became came true? You don't think that?
0: Well, I, I guess that's true. With The videotape element, it's kind of antiquated, but I do like that he says we're all going to one day have uh, like video names that resonate with the cathode ray tube. That's kind of funny. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, like this film was so ahead of its time, right? Where like <laughs> even in the context like I think it's especially true in the context of now where everyone is forced to look at a screen and, you know, have basically be a monitor all of the time and People, I there's some people that I know at work. I don't even know them in person. I've only seen them through a monitor. I've I've not met them yet, Um, (laughs) but like I'm still like, like I I have to work with them. I have to be friends with them. They're friends that like I've never met them in real life either. They're just like a face on a monitor, but like I'm still close with them. And like I don't know. This film was so ahead of its time that I'm I'm a little scared by like, just how how true it is kind of, because like especially with things that do have to deal, especially with sexual aspects and sexuality and and arousal. I think if you said to someone in like 2005, like, oh, like people are going to get off from the fact that there's a girl who sells her like photos of herself half naked on the internet and people are going, she's going to be very successful and people are going to like be sexually gratified by that. Um, I think people would be like, oh, that's crazy. That's like lunacy. That's like perversion. But like OnlyFans is a thing now. And and like so in terms of like the philosophical aspects of the film, I think the oblivions are definitely I think still on the on the correct side where it's like, oh, um, yep, this is this is definitely bad for everyone. This is definitely a net negative, um, and they tried to stop it. But I think in terms of like very convex in the spectacular optical corporation i think what they're trying to say is that it's inevitable and i i I still think that that's the case because everyone is obsessed with sex and violence on screens i don't think anyone would ever want to see that thing in person
0: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely not yikes (laughs) yeah i think they both think it's inevitable like they've got their whole um was it like cathode ray mission Mm -hmm. the oblivions where they have like their church where they just bring homeless people in to watch tv because they think that the tv is the which again is kind of like the internet if you just put that in instead of tv Mm -hmm. they're like oh yeah their big problem is they're disconnected from the rest of the world
1: Mm -hmm. well i mean at, at this point what is the difference between tv and the internet nowadays
0: yeah that's true that's true but yeah, I mean, you don't have the access to the internet. I mean, you can't even really apply to jobs in person anymore in the same way, especially during COVID, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, you're absolutely removed if you're not a part of that, but...
1: Yeah. Oh, man, something about the sex and the violence and the fact that it's on a screen. I really do like the aspect of... um, What was that one scene where Max, like, hallucinates that he has, like, a handgun in his in his body or something?
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he's like watching some video from Brian Oblivion and like playing with his gun cuz at a certain point he just like has his gun like all the time. I don't know. I guess the watching the sex and violence on screen has like made him like in a hyper state of violence all the time or something. Mm-hmm. And he's he starts complaining about this rash early on in his uh chest. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he just starts scratching it with the gun and then it opens up to like this kind of vaginal thing in his stomach. Then for whatever reason he puts the gun in it. Um <laughs> so
1: well, that is sex and violence,
0: so...
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I didn't really know what that meant other than, like, the metaphorical, like, oh, this is sex and violence. Because does the hand come come out of his abdomen ever again?
0: Um, Well, when he gets that VHS tape shoved in it later... Yes. Then he just starts having the gun, so I feel like maybe he took it off on, like, not on screen, but it... But yeah, the metaphor does break down because he he's all supposed to be hallucinating so i guess maybe he just thinks he put the gun in his chest but really he's just like carrying it all the time after that or something Mm. the lines definitely get pretty blurry um after a while so And again that's why sometimes i watch it and it just feels like a straight movie because it's like these are all hallucinations but you can kind of picture what's going on outside of them And then other times i'm like ah i don't really know if i can understand what's going on outside of the hallucinations anymore like there's that scene where bray convex puts that weird like thing on his head Mm -hmm. and then he imagines that he's like whipping um the tv version (laughs) oh yeah and then he wakes up with masha in his bed and i'm like was she really there like uh, it becomes very unclear
1: by the way can i say that's like my favorite (laughs) thing in media like any time that there's a screen on someone's head, or, um, or screen is like juxtaposed with someone's head, and then it's just their screen and the head in like a dark room. I think that's my favorite visual kind of imagery, ever. I- I'm very happy that this film included.
0: Did you ever see? Um, oh, what was that one? Fuck, I have it on disc somewhere. Strange Days, I think it's called. Mm, no. You ever heard of that movie? No. Yeah, I feel like they have that in that. It's been a while since I've seen it, but... Anyway, I guess that's kind of random. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched this movie whenever we were going to do it last time, so I'm a little bit... It's a little bit rusty in my brain. no, no,
1: no don't worry. So. <laughs> um, what do you think of the philosophical implications of this film?
0: What do I think? Mm-hmm. I do think it's really interesting that this movie's kind of looking at... You know, it's very clear, like, we're at the precipice of a new era... Uh, I think this came out in 83, mm-hmm. so videotape was like a new kind of booming thing still at the time. And yeah, there were like these two warring factions and kind of a technological revolution going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think it was definitely looking at the future in terms of the internet, even though it doesn't really go into that, but that element's definitely there. And is always obsessed with combining biology and various other things this one, we get into that kind of biological and technological combination, which I definitely think is coming. I mean, there was that whole, what was that, like, Apple? Was it the, like the Apple Glass, I think it was called? Do you remember that? No. Yeah, it was a few years ago, like maybe like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And there were going to be these glasses that you would wear that would kind of augment reality. Mm-hmm. So you could have like an Apple Watch and flip through, read text like right on your eyes with the watch and that kind of stuff. Oh. and I think there was a whole bunch of glitches like it was giving people massive headaches and things and causing like severe eye strain so <laughs> right. Yikes. Yikes. so they're not quite there yet but the biological and technological uh, kind of blending I think it's definitely coming our way soon and this movie is going to be even more prophetic when that finally shows up mm-hmm. but yeah again I wish I had the time to rewatch today so I could be a little bit more on top of it but <laughs>
1: okay. oh the ending of Videodrome so Max murders everyone, and he escapes. And then Nikki is just like, oh, you've weakened Videodrome, but you have to, like, leave the old flesh. And then, like, that prompts Max to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. That scene always confuses me because... Mm-hmm. So it's it's the screen showing Max um, shooting himself, and then that creates, the like, everything to explode or something. And, um... Like in that way, I think like the, when I watched it so, so long ago, I remember thinking like, oh, this is because (laughs) (laughs) you cannot truly escape Videodrome. Videodrome is not external, it's internal or whatever. That's what I thought. Where it's just like, there's no such thing as a Videodrome like outside, like you are Videodrome. Max is Videodrome, which is why he has to kill himself. And I think that's that's a fine, inter- that's, a, that's like a decent interpretation, but I don't know if I would think the same thing anymore.
0: Yeah, and I still don't know if he really does kill himself at the end, because there's that whole thing where uh, Bianco Oblivion kind of like reprograms him. And he sh- gets shot by the TV, and then he like sees his chest on the TV. And he like has all the bloody wounds, but then he gets up afterwards and is fine. mm mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if this really is just when he kills himself, he's again reprogrammed to be something new. hmm yeah, that's... I don't fully understand, like, what is the end point of Videodrome? Because at least for the Spectacular Optical, at least for them, the end point is, like, cleansing of all the kind of degenerate elements. Mm-hmm. But for the Oblivions, is it really just creating, like, a whole new element of society? Like, freed from reality? I, I don't quite... <laughs>
1: there's There's the thing, where I'm just, like, I think the end of the film just echoes the sentiments of both the oblivions and like the spectacular opticon Corporation, where it's like, it's too late. It's too late to like save anyone now because saving yourself at this point means killing yourself because there's no such thing as Videodrome without the obsession of sex and violence. The only thing that's changed is that now we can record it and now we can kind of distribute it as fast as possible to, like, um, satisfy that demand for sex and violence and anything that could keep your um, attention span glued to a screen for however long. So I I do believe that Max shoots himself, um, and that's why they say long live the new flesh, because, (laughs) like, despite his body now being no longer a thing, a living, breathing thing, like, like, his image is still on the television. Like, he himself becomes part of Videodrome because of the image of him shooting himself in the head, like, due to, um, like, uh, sorry, that's just my dog, he's growling, um, uh, yeah, because like, it's the image of him shooting himself in the head, and that had to be recorded, or, you know, it can be shown to other people, and that image of him shooting himself in the head prompts him to do more violence. And in the end, like, he he kills Harland and um, Barry Convex, right? So he is a violent person. Like, I I think it's even, like, it's questionable whether or not Videodrome did that or he had the capacity to do that already, Um, or if Videodrome works and, like, you know, does inspire people to do violent acts. But, like, sorry, I'm losing the plot here. But what I'm saying is that, like, I think by the ending, they are already saying that this was inevitable, it's too late, Um, and the best thing that you could do is just kind of (laughs) erase yourself from this world in order to avoid whatever corruption could be next or the cultural decay, decay that North America is about to go to.
0: Yeah. This is a little off the, this is a little bit of a bunny trail off what you were saying, but it reminded me of something. So I've been going on this whole Cronenberg deep dive retrospective for the past, maybe like two months And I've been going through all of his movies and watching, like, a fuck ton of archival interviews with him. And there was one that I saw about this movie where he was saying that early on in his career, he was just, like, hit with a cascade of criticism for using sex and violence to sell his movies. Mm
1: -hmm. And so when
0: he made Videodrome, he kind of said, Okay, I'm going to look at what the critics say, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate and write a story that would actually kind of show what they're saying, so... I guess his point with this movie is kind of like using sex and violence on video can actually corrupt people and cause damage to society.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes and no. Cause I think, I think what ultimately he's trying to say is that he's not capturing anything new. He's not like, he's not created the, the use of like sex or violence. It's not new. It's, he's only filming it. So I, I think that's the whole point of Videodrome. Videodrome, is a mirror to society that already exists. Like there is violence. The only thing that makes it more dangerous is the fact that we've recorded it. But that inherently doesn't change the violence, it just changes the way that people view it. It's no longer something that is something you should stay away from, but if you, but because there is this distance, because it is on a screen, um, it is something that becomes more digestible and something that is safe safer quote-unquote to watch um and therefore more people will watch it so in that sense when people got mad at Cronenberg for you know oh you only use sex and violence in your films and you're using it for obvious shock value like what is Cronenberg supposed to respond with where it's just like (laughs) like there's already sex and violence we're already obsessed with sex and violence despite the fact that like even, even before the era of TV, like, it was just sensationalized in the paper. Um,
0: there you go, uh, see it in the Coliseum.
1: <laughs> yeah. All he's doing is that he's capturing it, and whether or not that's a good or bad thing, that's something I think that he tries to capture in this film, at least, where it's like, yes, it, 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 it's a net negative, but it's not anything new, and it is inevitable. Because if... It, like that means people would just have to stop being on a computer or being on TV or filming anything, because like as much as we want to film like nice wholesome things with nice wholesome aspects and topics that are easy to digest, um, that's not necessarily the reality for everyone, right?
0: Mm-hmm. You are the most appealing thing ever, hmm? like uh, Max Ren with that whole. Uh, there was that one like kind of Japanese porn that he was watching and showing his guys at the office and he was like ah oh, she's too soft
1: yeah beginning, right
0: yeah yeah i mean what does that say about society i mean i don't know but <laughs> we like a little bit of edge to things
1: yeah i mean there's there's nothing wrong with it like i think that's why a lot of people still kind of engage in some certain types of king where it's like oh it's it's safe because it's Art, or it's safe because like they're porn actors and they know exactly what they're doing, or it's safe because like I'm not actually doing it; I'm only gratifying my fantasies via video. um And it's that weird blurry line of like, why is it safe? How is it safe? How is it different?
0: Yeah, I mean Brian Oblivion says, uh oh, "What does he say? Maybe I should just find that scene." He was talking about reality. And how when you watch things on TV, you experience them, and they become a sort of reality. And then when you experience them in real life, they're less than television, so they're less than reality. Something like that. Do you remember that bit? Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure when you watched this.
1: Kind of. I watched it literally just before we recorded. Sure. But I don't remember that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian Oblivion's got lots of crazy ideas. now I was going to say about him, another bit of Cronenberg kind of being... Kind of having a little bit of a self-aware humor with this movie. Hmm. Almost every movie preceding this features some sort of professor or established academic type, hmm. um, like a scientist or something like that. And all of them get so kind of far up into their head with their ideas hmm. that they eventually turn to the villains. And so, it'd be very easy to watch this movie and be like, "Oh, Professor Oblivion," you know that name, and he's this Cronenberg movie, and he's a professor, so he must be the villain. Hmm. So it's kind of a little bit of a fun twist that he's actually more of a, well, I guess he's kind of villainous in a way. It's, it's a little, it's a little hard to say, at least with like Bianca. I mean, she definitely uses Max Ren as a tool just as much as Convex and his crew. So I guess they're both kind of just using people at that point. Mm. But I appreciate that it wasn't just another villainous professor. Cause I was kind of like, Oh, they, you know, these poor professors and academics mm. Not all of them are bad. Mm. Which is definitely the impression you get watching those earlier Cronenberg movies.
1: Yeah, I actually really do like the fact that, I think because most of his films are inspired by lectures that he attended um, in university, correct?
0: Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he said that Brian Oblivion was directly kind of based on a professor that he had.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Like a film studies professor or something like that.
1: That Oh, sick. Is there anything else that you liked about the film?
0: Well, I guess I could mention a little bit more about the practical effects because I really did think some of that stuff was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, just that kind of, you know, this stomach, vaginal orifice that he had. Yeah. I thought was super duper cool. And, um, yeah, like when he shoots Brian, uh, not Brian, um, what's what's the convex guy? I just said it. Barry. Very convex. When he shot him with the kind of tumor gun and they all, like, explode out of him. Hmm. I thought that was a super well done visual very grotesque but was there any other standout practical effects for you in this
1: i mean other than the tv kind of moving um and like he makes love to the tv i thought that was so (laughs) cool i thought that that, i think that was in a lot of the trailers for this film right
0: yeah on the blu-ray copy that i have that's the the front cover
1: yeah like I don't I, I still don't really know how that happens especially I can I can understand what happens with like the tv and how they got that to move but like the screen with like everything still projected on it like I think that was so cool and the way they made it feel like um again like uncanny like it was fleshy but it was not human there was a screen and a mouth but it was not a person and yeah it was just neat
0: yeah and he was like trying to force himself into it yeah, it's yeah. Super, super cool. Oh, even even the gun, like when the he holds the gun and it like starts to meld into his hand and like poking through everywhere. Mm-hmm. That was another cool image. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have a ton else. I if only we would have done this when we uh when we were originally going to do it because I even listened to the commentary by Cronenberg, but mm. <laughs> I just didn't write enough notes. Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention actually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, do you know the band Blondie? Yes. Did you know that Deborah Harry? plays Nikki brand was the lead singer of that
1: oh no no what
0: yeah i, I didn't find out until this viewing oh sick yeah i was just looking at the cast i was like deborah harry what else has she done and i was like oh she's the lead singer of blondie no oh, very cool. very random <laughs> but yeah I, I definitely liked her in the role i thought james woods was also really good in his role
1: james wood played um max
0: max yep yeah and i've heard that he's a super big kind of asshole in his personal life So maybe he was (laughs) bringing some of that to the role. I don't know, but... Uh,
1: I really liked whoever played Harlan.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, That guy shows up in a couple other Cronenberg movies. I'm not sure what his name is, but...
1: Uh, His name is Peter Dvorsky. Dvorsky. Yeah. Um, And I really liked him. Like, I didn't really understand what the... Why he was calling him Patron all the time. (laughs) Me either. I was like, oh, are you Hispanic E-coded? Like, what's what's up um but like i totally like i love that whole idea that like he was like a double agent and spent like all this time just to get max uh to be a part of video i love that i love that about it. harlan's probably my favorite character in this whole thing
0: yeah i really liked his turn because he was he was such a nice kind of uh personable person
1: he's like a he's like the tie to reality that we have and then he's not anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, once he switches into his like weird like, everything's degenerate and you know we need to remove you. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, he, like he's really disturbing now. Like, yikes, what a fanatic. Yeah, and Cronenberg did say he was kind of reaching back to Jim Jones with uh, their group. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what's the future of Jim Jones type people going to look like? Which is disturbing, but yeah, I'm not sure if I have much else, unfortunately, but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to contribute to this film.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why I usually have Isaac here. You can always go off on very random things. but <laughs>
1: Yeah, but for me, like, I always like to get things like super concise and be like, this is what I like about the film. This is what I thought about it. This was the philosophical telling of it. This is what I kind of got out of it. So I feel like I've, I've exhausted all of that. I could definitely be like, oh, yeah, I really like the outfits. Or I like how gross everything is. Or... <laughs> and just go on like that but that's not a very scintillating conversation as uh, as um either you know
0: no well, that's fair i will say i like the music though
1: <laughs> what really
0: yeah it was i didn't like it originally but it's it's grown on me it's got such a weird feeling to it the music
1: to me i think it's like so bland are we were we listening to the same thing
0: i don't i feel like it sets a tone it, it's very weird it's not playing in like a normal mode
1: mm, okay
0: Yeah, and that guy, maybe I just have a familiarity with him because he scores, like, almost every Cronenberg movie. Howard Shore.
1: Hmm, Howard Shore.
0: Yes, maybe I've just gotten used to his his style by this point in my... uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Huh. Okay, sick. That's good to know. Maybe I'll take another listen to it.
0: (laughs) But I guess we can do final thoughts, unless you feel like you've already said your final thoughts.
1: Let's do final thoughts. Let's do final thoughts.
0: Sure. Do you want to go first? or
1: Yeah. Um, I think Videodrome is not even a prophecy anymore. I think it's actuality, and I love it. I think everyone should watch it at least once, even if they don't get it. Um, and long live the new flesh.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite Cronenberg movies. Um, for the longest time, it was my favorite, but on this kind of run-through, it's changed a little bit. But it's still one of his best. The practical effects feel the most polished from his early works, which I would put this in his pre-Hollywood works. Mm. Um, I think that Max Wren is one of the more interesting characters from his filmography, and absolutely it's definitely one of the ones that, it's very distinctly Cronenberg, all that weird sexual stuff and weird kind of bio mixing with various other things is something that's all throughout his early stuff, so Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely one of the, the highlights of his career so yeah it's neat but yeah i guess that's uh i guess that's all we got for this episode i mean a little bit shorter than our usual stuff but
1: i don't understand how y'all do like two hour recordings this movie's this movie's how long one hour and a half something like that yeah yeah how on earth can you do two hours <laughs> two hours of this
0: this one guy I record with eric If uh, he can just find like a million bunny trails to go off like we just covered this movie called slacker you ever heard of it no, no. Yeah, it's like this weird little indie flick, and somehow we went over to a, like two and a half hours on it. I had to edit out a fuck ton of stuff, but yeah, sometimes you just movies can just spark a million miles of conversation. And sometimes they can't. I don't know mm-hmm. what the, uh, the science is behind it, but.
1: <laughs> and okay, I'm just very like I, again. I think I speak in a, like a very concise and like way. So despite the way that I use like a lot, but like. Um, like, I can't even imagine, like, this movie was an hour and a half long. If you were to talk about, like, violence and sex and media in general, sure. But, like, about this film specifically, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, see, if I was with Eric, we would just go off on, like, Cronenberg's whole filmography.
1: Ah, okay.
0: But <laughs> but good recording with you again. I'm not sure what we got planned for the future, but see you on the next one.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, or is this just
0: saying bye for the recording? Oh, that was just saying bye for the recording.
1: (laughs) Oh, bye recording. Bye.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but speaking about relating to Katara, I mean, I can definitely relate to, you know, being tied to a post by a dude with a terrible haircut. I mean, who is the terrible haircut here? That's my question.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is a 13-plus show, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: is that, is that, I wasn't, oh, I guess, yeah, well. <laughs> i have to snip that out. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, now I'm not, like, I ain't drunk, but, like, what was, or I'm, I'm not um filled with the sauce, but, like, what's, uh, I, I missed that one. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a stupid joke, but, yeah, I guess so you, I could see or you could think of uh, that was sexual. <laughs> hey, 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 watch your language, there. Just like, uh, in the last one we did Isaac. You kept talking about um, if if avatars could do finger blasting, and oh fudge, you said that too. You said that. No, too. it was you. You kept saying it over and over, and I and I just eventually I was like, I think we got to stop with these innuendos. <laughs> but I snipped my line out and I kept the rest in. So hopefully no one. Can. I guess I said five finger blast or something like that. That's that's fair. Yeah. And if you want to really like, like you know <laughs> make that joke, she's tied to a, you know a a long stick. Well, let's not. You know, let's not. With let's a not bush better. on top. Okay, let's, yeah, let's show...